Welcome to In the Lead with UCEA, bringing you pivotal conversations with people making an impact on educational leadership preparation, practice, and policy. I'm Monica Bern Jimenez, Executive Director of the University Council for Educational Administration. In today's episode, we hear from Alejandro Gonzalez Ojeda, Assistant Professor of Educational Leadership at San Diego State University. As an integral part in SDSU's program redesign through UPPI, Alejandro and his colleagues have worked hard to produce lasting improvements in their program. Sustainability is challenging but key to ongoing impact. So how did SDSU partners keep sustainability in mind as they engaged in their redesign efforts? What aspects of their redesign have they been able to sustain after UPPI's conclusion? Stay tuned to find out. Welcome to In the Lead, Alejandro, and thank you for being here. Thank you, Monica, so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be a part of the conversation. Wonderful. Let's start out with, if you could tell us a little bit about how the faculty at SDSU decided to pursue the UPPI initiative. Yeah, I think that a part of our work, our charge has always been linked to practitioners. Our preparation program is really reliant on keeping tabs on what is happening in K-12. What are some of the challenges? What are some of the areas of need for our schools? And our close partnership with districts have facilitated us really having an understanding on who are the leaders that our communities are seeking? Who are the leaders that they want to have leading their schools who are linked into the tenets of equity, who are pragmatic, who are not afraid to involve the community as a part of sharing that voice, sharing that space to inform what does a school look like? What does equity look like? What does effective learning look like? What are those instructional practices? And there's just a whole slew of aspects when it comes to leadership that we want our practitioners to keep in mind. And so when we were looking at the UPPI as an opportunity, we considered the value of those district partnerships. We looked at this is an incredible opportunity to provide the time and the space to bring people to the table who are the ones that are on the receiving end of essentially the product, right? <laughs> not to think of like an assembly line or anything like that, but really... Of course not. In terms of... Yeah, of course not. <laughs> I mean, that's not what we want. But how can we do a, a sort of needs assessment and stay true to the leaders that our communities are in search for? And we spent a lot of time engaging, creating that time, using the spaces with bringing diverse leaders from the community in terms of the school districts that we partnered with to help us understand who are the leaders that you want? What are the things that we can do to help produce that leader, prepare that leader, and understand what are the things in our program that we need to consider? Gaps in preparation, the types of dispositions, the types of skills, knowledge base, perspectives, mindsets that leaders should have to be effective in their schools. And as we engaged in that work, 
we came to the realization that the leaders who we are preparing are much more than what the standards are uh, promoting, right? Those standards are a guide. They're essentially for us, those professional standards are an opportunity for us to say, this is the expectation, but what are additional things that are not addressed? So we engaged the districts in identifying what is an equity statement? What are the dimensions of equity? What are the characteristics in terms of the thinking? And so when we engaged in that, in this UPPI work, we saw this as an opportunity to learn from the districts, to self-reflect and audit our own program sequence, Mm -hmm. the content that is in these courses as well, look at our syllabi, look at the way that we communicate with recruitment, look at the way that we communicate with the supports and that experience, right? Who we want our leaders to interact with. And we recognize that it's not something that we can do alone. I know we'll get into the conversation around sustainability, Mm -hmm. but really, again, leveraging the expertise that is in the community. We're not the only ones doing this work. Mm -hmm. If we want to know what is effective in practice and leadership, we have to look at the leaders who are effective in that practice. And so that's why we pursued this. And it offered us an opportunity to not only expand our work, but also expand those partnership with the districts. And that's great to hear. And I think you've already mentioned what we want to get to the heart of, which is one of the biggest things to be thinking about when doing redesign is how do you sustain the work? Mm-hmm. How do you keep that momentum going? And so now that the UPPI has officially concluded, what are some of the most prominent aspects of your redesign that you have been able to sustain mm-hmm. since then? You say, you know, it's officially ended. And I just think of the band Weezer. Say it ain't so, whoa, whoa, you know. <laughs> but that, that <laughs> funding it. cycle, yeah, that funding cycle or that timeline may have ended, but the work continues. We saw this as an opportunity to look ahead at a sustainable program where we wouldn't just redesign and then be done with it. We looked at it as an opportunity to develop a process for iterative mm. design right, for iterative evaluation Mm. around the aspects of the program that are strong, because I think it's important for us to recognize that within our programs, we add value to the preparation and the pipeline. We have consequential tasks. Mm. We have supervisors who have a great set of experience that they can use to coach candidates. We have a robust set of courses and experiences that really give the candidates opportunities to reflect on the hot topics, on things that are necessary, things that are in legislature, things that they're going to be responsible for, the things that get you fired, the things that get you hired. (laughs) So I think that we saw this as an opportunity to say, what is going to be our process that we can look at over time? When we are looking at the QM work, the domains and each of those indicators allowed us to, again, look at how we're doing recruitment, how it is that we're doing admissions, how it is that we're doing our design of our instructional programs, the materials that we're using, how it is that we're assessing the candidates as well. And that's more of a reflective piece to think critically about our courses, our instruction. Really, we don't want to be stagnant. And so one of the ways that we saw this as an opportunity was to say, well, if we're doing this program, in our stateside, our traditional program, 
What other opportunities can we do to learn from it, to expand that work and those opportunities? And so we launched an online program. We saw the UPPI work Mm. that was the initial few years of doing that redesign and said, great, we feel good about this. It's representative of our stakeholders. It's representative of what's required for accreditation. It's representative of what we believe with our partners a leader should be prepared to do. And our region is just only so large, which is fantastic. We want to serve that. Who else can benefit from this? Who else in our state that we're able to operate in benefit from these preparation experiences? And so we took the redesign model and then redesigned or really designed what it would look like in an online format. And so we're really happy with the results out of that program. We run it twice, twice an academic year with a fall and a spring admission period, and the demand is high. Mm. And what we learned from that in anticipation of launching it is that there is a high demand. So in thinking about sustainability, Mm. enrollment numbers are critical in order to sustain the program. And so we're able to leverage that high need or high area of interest to say, okay, we're not only preparing leaders within our realm, but we're also preparing leaders who are serving very similar demographics across the state Mm -hmm. or leaders who are very much in tune with what we believe is required to prepare an effective leader, an equity-driven leader, essentially. Mm -hmm. So much of what you've just said really resonates with me, Alejandro. And I think you've alluded to this, but you haven't really talked about it. So let me probe a little bit about... It seems that in your redesign work, maybe before, but then it got honed during that process, was the importance of your shared vision. And you've talked a little bit about what kind of leader was going to serve our community, but I think there was probably more to that. And Mm -hmm. so maybe if you could tell us a little bit about that process, how you engage with the stakeholders, because I think without that shared vision, you're sort of building a house of cards. And what you want to do is like a log cabin to sort of stretch that (laughs) metaphor a bit. But could you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. When we were working with our partners, it was key for us to have some clarity around language Hmm. because that matters a lot. And so when we talked about equity, we came to our partners and said, what is your equity statement? What is your district's equity statement? And how does our program reflect that? And in our definition of equity, we were able to create that more holistic and comprehensive, in a sense, definition around five types of thinking that a leader needs to have, right? Mm -hmm. Data-driven, school climate, achievement, systems thinking, learnership. So we were able to identify Mm -hmm. thinking mindsets that we want to incorporate in our courses to highlight the type of thinking that leaders should be able to Mm. practice. We also discussed our dispositions. Our program actually didn't have key leadership dispositions in the beginning. And so the redesign work facilitated that. Be an expert noticer, Mm. be anti-racist, be able to call out biases, be able to be self-reflective as well. And part of those conversations with the districts was to look at this language with intention and saying, are these in line with who you want in your schools? Mm -hmm. That was a part of that process. Then we spent a lot of time (laughs) back and forth and drafting and redacting. And so the work that we continue to do is to bring those partners again when we feel like we've been doing this for some time. We are getting good responses from students. 
are you seeing that present itself in your districts? And we revise it. Even this year, we looked at redesigning our consequential, our clinical practices, our shadowing, our language and our dispositions as well, because we want to make sure that we're not stagnant, that we have these foundational elements and that we're inviting the partners back in to be able to lend us with that reality check. Right. And so that was a part of that process. And it's a process that we go back to. So when I talk about the UPAPI process, even though if it's ended in terms of funding, it's a process that we found to be a systematic approach for sustainability mm-hmm. rather than just saying, again, we did it. That's it. You know, put it on the syllabus, put it on the program handbook, right. put it on the website. It's something that we refer back to routinely. Yeah. And that's a great example of what you mentioned or what you called an iterative redesign process. Mm-hmm. The redesigning is the work. It's not an end. Right. So I appreciate how you've made that part of your culture, of your partnerships, of your program. And, and I'm going to guess among your faculty as well. Yeah. And, and let me touch on that a little bit more, just because I know we're talking about sustainability. It helps us for building capacity and calibrating across our staff, if you will, our faculty. Those of us who have been a part of the redesign work have lived through it. So it's inherent to us to mm. keep that mindset But for example, if we're onboarding a new clinical supervisor, a university supervisor, or we are establishing a brand new partnership with a new district, we use all of that work to set the foundation Mm -hmm. again, to say, this is what our program is about. These are the things that we are looking to help leaders develop in. These are non-negotiables, right? Until we look at it and get feedback on some of those things as well, right? But there's just some things that we're not going to shy away from. Mm -hmm. There's some things that because we have found that these are the things where gaps exist in addressing students who have been disenfranchised, perhaps students who have not received the supports or the attention because we look the other way. Mm -hmm. So we want to be looking in the direction of equity and be thinking and acting with equity in mind as well. And so in terms of sustainability, just to keep that framework, all of the work that we did in redesigning and then launching new programs, we look at as what have we learned from those experiences to inform when we bring somebody new on board, whether it's an adjunct or is a supervisor or looking at recruitment as well. Yeah, which I think sort of leads nicely into my next question around the challenges of sustainability. I mean, I think you mentioned when onboarding and bringing people into your program, but what other challenges has your program faced? It's interesting. We have seen fluctuations in enrollment, just like I think anybody else has seen that. Mm -hmm. And we're facing the same challenges that other districts or regions are facing in terms of the pipeline, right? Part of it, I think, has to do with us understanding what the perceptions of leadership are of those who are not yet in leadership positions. The last few years, and we may have talked about this before, perhaps in another interview, but part of the perception of what a leader does and who they are may have been impacted in the last couple of years as we rushed to be responsive of crisis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's also the notion of, well, my experience as an early career educator was I saw my principal just putting out fires all the time, Mm -hmm. or I saw them handing out COVID tests, or I saw them doing this, that, the other, right? And so part of, I think, our work is in clearly communicating a leader is much more than that. Mm -hmm. There is a huge need for leaders who are instructional leaders, Mm -hmm. who are looking at 
not only uh, addressing the facilities and the logistical and the operational things, those are all very important things, but what is a leader's role in supporting instruction in the classroom? In not providing evaluative feedback to a teacher, but more so reflective feedback from a coaching perspective. Mm. And a lot of the work that we're seeing is around that, is what are the effective coaching models for principals who are currently at school sites and for candidates who need some of that coaching as well. Mm. And I think that it really all goes back to understanding the individual and what their beliefs are and how it is that they can make an impact in the classroom, Mm -hmm. even though they're leading an entire school and have a lot of roles. Part of that work has been around, like I mentioned, we're redesigning our shadowing, Mm. setting the expectation that you're going to shadow a principal for two days. And those two days may be 16-hour days. Part of that is us saying, this is what it takes to be a leader. The day starts early and sometimes it ends late. And sometimes there's board meetings and sometimes there's extracurricular activities. But just to say that we have to be very intentional about how it is that we're communicating those expectations for aspiring leaders, not to scare them away. Definitely, that's not what we want to do. But if you're really interested in making a difference, we have to have a diverse outlook in terms of what a leader's responsibilities are Mm -hmm. and what impact they can make in the classroom. And it's almost like I hear you saying that one of the challenges to sustainability is almost the leadership practice itself and sort of traditional ways of thinking about that role in schools that our students bring with them into preparation and having to unlearn that, right? And then in a way, learn what San Diego State wants them to know. Um, (laughs) So that's a really intriguing thought, right? There's just a lot to it, right? Sorry to interrupt. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot to what we expect of leaders and we have to do a better job at preparing them. We have to do a better job at giving them the tools to be able to persevere to seek help, to be self-reflective and to recognize where they're adding value and where they might need some help, where they might need to further develop. I mentioned earlier about pragmatic leaders who are realistic, leaders who look at logistical things, but are also strategic in terms of high achieving. And some of that has to do with those soft skills too. All that really to say that We need to prepare our leaders for that perseverance. It's not easy. It's not easy being a teacher. We don't do this job just for ourselves, right? We do it because we believe that there's much we can offer for our communities. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's key. That's key in helping not to change the narrative, but just to be a part of the narrative. And it also seems that sort of some of those dispositions and skills that you're trying to bring out in your candidates are also skills and dispositions that you may need to bring out among your faculty. Yes. And so the work of, I guess, learnership, something you said, among faculty also has to be important. Yes. That's something that as researchers, we're constantly looking at what's the latest and greatest or what's the tried and true or what's something different that we haven't explored yet. Mm. And so that's something that we probe ourselves with. We have those conversations. What are some effective practices? And in order to help leaders be responsive to the issues in their schools, we also have to, as faculty, be responsive to the issues that we're seeing, right? So I think acknowledging, building in some of those Mm self-care aspects of it, some of that self-reflective piece for leaders, helping leaders identify who they are, candidates of leadership, identify who they are, what they believe 
about their role in education and as leaders as well. So I think that we have to do some soul searching sometimes as well. Yeah. <laughs> because we don't want to also be just, again, the, the idea of this pipeline is it's not necessarily a production line. It's looking at it from when a candidate might enter and what experiences they might have or that they should have. And then what's that outcome look like? We want to produce leaders who are effective, but they're also self-aware of things that they need. And it also seems that notions of sustainability also extend to leaders. Like we want them, we need them to stay in those roles, to stay in their buildings as well, right? So Mm -hmm. it's another way of sort of thinking about program redesign sustainability is also dependent on leadership sustainability and your partners, right? Yes. And those are the conversations that we engage with our district partners, particularly looking at who do they tap on the shoulder, right? How do you tap into the talent, if you will, that is already a part of the district or where do you look to recruit mm-hmm. as well? And every district has their own process. And that's where we lean on the practitioners. Like when we think about recruitment, we go to the principal meetings, the superintendent meetings, we reach out and we say we would love to connect. If your leaders are seeing potential for other leadership, for those who are looking in the next step of their career, we'd be happy to connect with them. Mm-hmm. And part of that too, in, in preparing leaders and those that are now practicing and have been in the field for some time, is to recognize leadership, to recognize, you know, equity-driven leaders as well. And thinking, oh, I need it. I see that, you know, uh, Mrs. Flores has real potential as an instructional leader, or she has shown interest in curriculum development or in some really strong feedback practices. She's really engaged in the PLCs or she's really effective in organizing. And so when we see some of those leadership traits, we want to make sure that we're also recognizing and saying, have you thought about taking the next step in your career? Mm-hmm. Have you thought about, take a look at this resource, take a look at this website, contact SDSU or contact somebody else. And we just want to make sure that we're able to provide that as well, that we're noticing that. I think that kind of also leads to my last question. Because I think from the moment that you began these redesign efforts through UPPI to now, the world has significantly changed in many ways, has stayed the same in others, schools, not the world. And so given that kind of constantly shifting context, mm-hmm. that that is the way schools are, how did you all at San Diego State sort of think about that, incorporate that, build on that in your program to be adaptable? I'm just getting flashbacks through every iteration every phase, of that. Every phase. <laughs> and, you know, if I close my eyes, I just see the faces of all of our partners, right? And the things that they would point out that we may not have recognized right off the bat. Mm. And I think that's key as someone who's been a part of a redesign and then a a new design and then an evaluation. I just think about the questions like, well, what is practical for a current teacher in terms of how much time they can take out of a classroom? But realistically, what types of experiences should they have? And how do we prepare the university supervisors to coach them? And so we're constantly looking, I think, at not the next best thing, but the next action to address what we might identify as a need, right? And looking within our program where we find that there are some strengths, like in our equity statement, in our supports for candidates who need to pass the performance assessment that's required by the state, and then for some gaps, 
For example, we've redesigned, like I mentioned, our shadowing and our clinical practices to better align with the experiences that they'll need for their performance assessments, but then also not double up the work, really more of an alignment piece. Mm -hmm. And we brought in partners, for example, Dr. Escobedo and his team at NCUST to consider some of the things that they're seeing in highly effective schools and how that can inform our program Mm. for preparing leaders as well. And so I think that we leverage the voices, again, of our partners Mm -hmm. for different perspectives and for calling out things that are maybe not present in the program, in materials or in communications, or even in the way that we talk about it, to be a bit more clear about those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now I can see how being in constant, like having that loop between your program and university preparation with the partners being a quick one so that you're learning from what's happening in the field and then can respond. And it's not easy in terms of, we want to be responsive, but we also have to be aware of requirements Mm -hmm. by the state for accreditation. And we want to be responsive for things that are required by the state for accreditation. And also in terms of providing authentic experiences that are going to permeate across, no matter what school they go to, they're still serving our students. No matter where region they might go to, we still want them to carry with them these dispositions, Mm -hmm. these mindsets, these skills. And the ability, again, to look at opportunities and to leverage others. I think that oftentimes the work can be a little bit isolating and we have to tap into the expertise in the room. Mm -hmm. So how do you foster a a climate that is inclusive of all different types of experiences and mindsets and involve those who have a voice, who have been a part of that community as well? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've given us a lot to think about, Alejandro. I'll be thinking about iterative redesign process for a while. So thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. And I look forward to seeing you again sometime real soon in sunny Southern California. You're welcome anytime. The feeling is mutual. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'd like to thank the Wallace Foundation for their support of this podcast and you, our listeners, for your commitment to improving educational leadership and policy to create equitable, ethical, and socially just outcomes for each child.